0: Welcome to Lateral Conversations. My name is Thomas Mark. This is a podcast about the evolution of consciousness, psyche, and culture. I speak here with people who have something important to contribute to the development of spirit and society. My guests are therefore artists, philosophers, academics, or activists, people not only with great ideas, but also the willingness to put them into the world. By doing so, I hope to contribute to the evolution by finding and exploring ideas and finally providing them to you. There is nothing more powerful, Victor Hugo once said, than an idea whose time has come. And if such a time for an idea has come, we can only find out by talking about them. Needs no introduction. He's an American philosopher. He's the author of more than 20 books. He's the founder of Integral Theory and Philosophy Um, He has shaped my life profoundly as the life of of countless others. I'm so happy that he agreed to do this podcast and uh, Having a talk about our current political and cultural situation and polarization Um, We talked the first uh, 30 minutes or so about developmental theory and and the last 30 minutes or so about um, the recent phenomenon of the intellectual dark web and um, his thoughts on um, jordan peterson and jonathan hyde and i was very happy that that we could have this talk because i i think needed a framing so to say and uh, i'm very happy that 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 he provided a developmental perspective on um on the whole issue of the intellectual dark web and what um what we have right now so i hope you will enjoy this conversation all the best to you here we go so ken thank you very much for joining me here Um, What I would like to do is to talk a little bit with you about our current political situation and to try to make sense of the year 2018. There there are 40 years between your your first book, Spectrum of Consciousness, and your your recent Trump paper. And, And what I would like to ask is from from your point of view, are we politically more polarized now than say in the the 90s or or the 70s and are we in this regard culturally uh, any closer to um, integral second-tier consciousness?
1: Well, one of the um, most noticeable things that happened in the 1960s was the emergence worldwide, certainly in, in the developed countries, of uh, what was essentially, at least in, in terms of, of a widespread uh, stage or level of development, what's the emergence of, of what we generally refer to as, as this green stage? It's sometimes oh. referred to as pluralism. Claire Graves called it relativism. Um, it's a uh, spiral dynamics refers to it as human bond it's uh um a particularly um it differentiates the world in- into multiple uh different truths and different cultures and it has a sense of egalitarianism that namely we really can't say that one culture is better than another or superior to another really in any way and so it's kind of a fallback back position it it uh it advances a value structure that's called egalitarianism, which means essentially that everybody is is of radically equal value, and, and we can't be making judgments about uh, about anybody. Yep. Um, and the, there was about in the, in the United States, for example, in 1959 to 1960, about three percent of the population was at that stage. The previous stage, which was orange, uh self esteem, rational, uh sometimes uh, referred to as, as scientific, although science occurs at, at almost any stage. Um, but that was that orange rational self esteem stage was the one that essentially began to emerge in the West with the Western Enlightenment and that's it developed universal values so all people were be to be treated fairly regardless of race color sex or creed and so um western enlightenment philosophers started talking about things like the universal rights of human beings it wasn't just what you've got for being a
0: christian
1: or what you've got for being right. uh englishman or a german it's what you've got for just being a human being and that was really quite new um and that was a value structure that that it was very very rare in in cultures up to that time and it's for that reason it was only with the emergence of, of that stage in, in a relatively widespread way that we actually for example um, got rid of slavery in about a 100-year period from around 1770 to 1870. Slavery was finally outlawed in every single major rational industrial country on the face of the planet. Nothing like that had ever happened. Uh, the great religions were in cultures that all had slavery. Buddhist monasteries had slaves. Uh, Christian monasteries had slaves. Well, it's relatively rare, which which is strange. I mean, human beings have been on the face of the planet for around 300,000 years, and we didn't figure out that one human being owning another human being is not a nice way to treat people until just a few hundred years ago. I mean, that's that's kind of sluggish. But that was what we got with the emergence of of that orange, universal, world-centric, Uh, rational stage of development, along with the emergence of of almost all of the modern sciences, modern chemistry, modern physics, modern biology, modern astronomy, and so on. And it wasn't Hindu chemistry versus Christian chemistry. It was just chemistry. It was looked at in in a universal uh, um, fashion. That was the structure that began to be supplanted in the 1960s, with the emergence of this next higher stage of development. So about 3% of the population, uh, in, in the United States in 1959, 1960 was at that green stage. And by 1972, Jacques Derrida, one of the main postmodern, uh, theorists representing green, he was the most frequently cited academic, uh, in 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 the university system so what we had is around 10 to 15 percent of the population had become green and whenever that leading edge becomes over 10 uh, percent we get a kind of major tipping point um, and the culture at large becomes more open to the kinds of values that that leading edge represents that's what had happened with orange and that's what began to happen with green and the problem with green well, so because of the emergence of this screen, we got a really heightened sensitivity to, uh, oh. human rights and to oppression and to marginalized people. We got a real concern with environmental issues. And the whole movement was, was called postmodern. Um, in certain developmental models, it was, it was called postformal. With formal being formal operational cognition or rationality, so these stages were post rational um not in the sense that they had no rationality at all they did but but formal operational rationality itself does tend to create these sort of universal systems, and yep. they're what Commons and Richard's call systemic stage of cognitive development. And then green, the more pluralistic stages, tend to reflect on those systemic universal systems and often tend to be critical of them or at least analyze them. Um, but that's why Collins and Richards call that stage of development meta-systemic, And that's what it, right. it is. It's meta to the previous systemic stage. Now the problem with meta-systemic is that it differentiates all these different cultures and it differentiates all these values, but it really can't integrate them. It really doesn't know how to bring them together. And so the problem with that is that the more active green becomes, and certainly the more extreme it becomes, then it, the more it leads to a genuine kind of fragmentation. Again, Claire Grays actually called this stage of development relativistic. And the previous stage she called multiplistic, and the stage before that, the amber ethnocentric stage, she called absolutistic, because it tends to take... Everything it says is being absolutely true. So if you're a Christian fundamentalist and you're at that amber stage, then every word of the Bible is absolutely and literally true. And you can't challenge it or anything like that because it's the absolute word of God. So that was the absolutistic stage. Then with the emergence of the orange rational stage, which added a third-person perspective, then rationality could start to take multiple perspectives. And it could see that its view isn't the one, the only, uh, absolutistic, uh, and, and no. ultimately correct no. view there is. That there are really kind of multiple perspectives that people can take. So it wasn't yet relativistic. It still tended to think that, that there are things like science, which is, uh, um one of the best ways to attain knowledge. I- I- exactly. But then with green, and, and when you get this reflexive, meta-systemic, pluralistic sort of approach, then that's what gray called relativistic. Because there, green just tends to not have any sort of universal perspective that it can take. And no sort of universal um, priorities. It doesn't have any idea how to actually unify or integrate all of these multicultural realities that that it's unearthed. And that tends to be a real problem, especially as that gets more solidified and more polarized. Its it's relativism becomes a real source of retribalization, a real source of fragmentation in culture. And the stage beyond that, which is generally... Uh, referred to in a lot of developmental models as being a second-tier um, or a, a truly holistic uh orientation. Um, Gene Gepser called it integral, a perspectival. Jane Lovinger yep. called it integrated. Um, yep. It's truly, a, it takes all of the differentiated parts and fragments that Green created, and it pulls them together into holistic, unified, frameworks and yeah. it, this but, but,
0: but, really I, but, yeah. but if if we look at culture today and all the stressors and all the chaos and uh, the cultural conflict we we can observe today it may may it be in regard of trump or gender issues or uh, um, conflicting narratives and ideologies and and all that stuff so is is that chaos from your point of view any indication that, that we are closer to, to a second-tier consciousness?
1: Well, yeah, and there are, um, there are a, a lot of different things that can happen as uh, both individuals and cultures at large, societies at large, undergo a, a sort of developmental shift. And the developmental stages themselves um, drive towards an increasing complexity, increasing differentiation, integration, increasing wholeness and unity, increasing self-organization, and increasing consciousness. And and we see that um, occurring throughout the whole evolutionary sequence itself. I mean, if you just look at going back to the Big Bang, and, you, and we, we see the universe going from atoms to molecules to cells to organisms, each one of those is more complex, more unified, more whole, mm-hmm. and also has more more consciousness. The, one of the things that hasn't happened, though, is that no matter sort of which developmental model you use, and and, and by the way, the integral approach. Um, development or levels is only one aspect of 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 what we talk about but it but it is an important part and it's almost always uh overlooked or ignored or or even um denied but historically humanity has let's say we use a a standard sort of eight stage model of development. Um, and and they're, they're generically ones that Gene get they're called archaic to magic to mythic to rational, pluralistic, and then integral um, the first six or those so stages up to including green that sort of pluralistic relativistic stage humanity has gone through each one of those stages and it has done so not only individually but on a large societal scale so again, starting in the 60s, we actually start to see the unfolding of a postmodern, uh, stage yeah. of development. But what's never happened, um, at large to, to any significant degree is a development from green up to the beginning of what's often called second tier. Right. And the difference, all the first stages, earlier stages are called first tier, uh, because each one of those stages thinks that, its truth and values are the only real truth and values that exist. I mean, everybody else could be well-intentioned, but they're wrong or mistaken or it's just goofy. But all of a sudden, when individuals move up to the beginning of what's sometimes called the second tier, uh, which, again, has is, is not really happened worldwide to any degree at all, but when that happens, it's the first stage that actually has an appreciation uh, and an understanding of the fact that all of the previous stages are important they all have some sort of value uh if for no other reason that they're all necessary stages of of a human being's uh own total uh, growth and, and unfolding and development all of these stages are necessary uh, just like atoms and molecules and cells and organisms, I mean, if you, get, if you kill all molecules in the universe, you kill all cells and all organisms too. Sure. So they're all important. And but it's only at second tier that that understanding becomes widespread. And that's why. It's often given names like integrated or holistic or oh. systemic and so on. But would you, would you say that the same is true for political stances as well? I mean, like in America with the conservatives and with the democrats, it's like every, every political stance has some, some virtues in that sense and some fallacies, you know, and, and isn't that the, the way to, to second tier to be able to um, integrate the, the different virtues so to speak from from the from, from the spectrum well that's right, but it, it, political parties themselves don't necessarily um, i mean you, you don't take up a a, a particular uh, explicit political stance in a necessary uh, un- developmental unfolding fashion. What does happen is that particular stages of development Will themselves give rise to different types of political theories, and so even the um, what's often called a, a liberal orientation, for example, that actually uh, arose as political orientation only with the Western Enlightenment, and, and and so that I mean it just so happened in the French Assembly, the believers in that new liberal position, which was a position that. Basically, was espousing universal rights, as opposed to the conventional or traditional um, uh, orientations, which supported a particular uh, religious approach. For example, they, in, in Europe, it was, they were very Catholic. They supported the monarchy. They supported the aristocracy, and so on. And those were conservatives. Those individuals wanted to conserve the traditional society the way it was. And in this new right. orange liberal orientation wanted to expand rights to all human beings and so on. So they basically gave rise to things like um, the American and French Revolution, the introduction of more democratic forms of political power. And the traditionalists just happened to sit on the right in the French Assembly, and these new liberals sat on the left in the French Assembly. So they were often called left and right. Um, and they were the two major kind of political orientations, also sometimes called uh, traditionalists versus progressives. Uh, mm-hmm. And those are the two major political orientations, uh, Whigs and Tories and so on, up to uh, around the 1960s, when this new green stage started to emerge. And that, indeed, was relativistic, and it actually didn't agree with a whole lot of the previous orange liberal values even though that political orientation was tending to emerge on what was called the left. So we had this breakdown in the left between the old, original uh, liberals, believing in orange values, and the, these new, sort of extreme, far-left liberals that weren't really liberal anymore. And, and they're often called illiberal uh, some people even started calling them the regressive left because they were they were so uh absolutistic in 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 their own um viewpoints. The problem is what what we 've never seen happen is a major either political party or any major cultural movement that 's actually come from second tier it 's actually come from these truly holistic integrating stages of development Claire Graves called the development from first tier to second tier cataclysmic and a monumental leap in meaning and he felt that it was actually the first time that human beings true and authentic nature had had even emerged yet because all the previous stages were still fragmented and partial and sort of at each other's throats so what we're seeing is an attempt so to speak, sort of uh, worldwide, for individuals to jump from the top of that first tier, which is green, but to move from that to second tier and truly begin uh, integrating holistic, um, truly inclusive embrace of all diversity. And we don't have that right now, and green certainly doesn't have that Again, it simply polarizes the culture into into people that happen to agree with its viewpoint about multiculturalism. And if you don't agree with it, then they think you're evil. They actually, they call you Nazi. Um, So it's really problematic. Um, And does that mean that because it's getting more chaotic, that therefore more people are actually um, moving to second tier? Well, again, uh, if we look at past transformations, uh, some of them ended up being pretty chaotic, and some of them actually end up being uh, quite smooth. Um, And the same is true of individual development as well. Many people will go through uh, major stages of developmental unfolding, and and they won't really notice that that something major has happened. Um, They might just start reflecting on their life at some point and realize how differently they see things now than they did when they were younger or at an earlier time. But but unless there's some sort of actual conflict going on, people won't often notice it. So the fact that we're having a lot of chaos, a lot of conflict right now, doesn't necessarily mean that more people are moving to second tier. What it does mean is that there is an increased pressure to actually move to second tier in order to cure a lot of the major problems that are now becoming sort of
0: yeah, there's a quote from evolutionary biologist Elizabeth Sartouris, and that is that um, the only thing that causes evolution is stress and so and, and, and from this perspective we need this polarization and we need the stress to be to be able to embrace and integrate all memes and, and, and stages and, and political Stances, so to say, and 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 we need the stress to find to try to find a new sincerity in dealing with these different worldviews.
1: Well, that's exactly that's exactly right. I mean, that does have to happen um, because otherwise, I mean, we really will it, when you start retribalizing a culture, the way it's happening in in a lot of Western cultures right now the end result of that pathway is just flat out physical warfare um i mean if you just if it's just my tribe versus your tribe that's no way to run uh, a unified culture and it just it really just won't work and historically it's never worked so that's a real problem that we're facing right now and again we have no handbook for how to actually move a, a culture, an entire culture, into something like second tier. Um, we've had six or so major historical transformations involving stages in first tier. So we've gone from original sort of foraging um and magical tribes up into um a gathering together the invention of farming and uh the gathering together into horticultural um, small towns and villages, and then the gathering together of, of those into sort of uh, super tribes, even empires and the creation of of really large uh cities and beginning city states and then we uh went through a whole period. Uh, in the Middle Ages, for example, there was largely um, a culmination of a great mythic uh, era and the mythic literal belief in, in Christianity and the truth of the Bible and, and, and so on into the orange uh, emergence of, of the Western Enlightenment, modern science, and modernity. And then finally in the 60s, the emergence of post-modernity and this green uh, relativistic, pluralistic stage. Right. But we've never, ever had a leap from first tier to second tier. We don't know what that's like. There's We have no idea how to do that. There We have no historical precedent for what that looks like. And we have no idea how to do it right now. So what we're finding right now, it, it sort of look worldwide, is we're finding that a, a large number of individuals who are at the leading edge of their own particular disciplines, whether it's uh, medicine or law or art or history or education or whatever it is. There's increasingly we're starting to see people propose more integrated, more unified approaches to their particular discipline. And there it's not it's it's not usually an overwhelming number, but there's there's somebody in almost every field uh doing this kind of thing.
0: So so let me just ask here, if if um the first step, so to so to speak, to in in the move towards second tier consciousness, if the first step is to to understand the different worldviews and to understand the different stages of development and to, say, grasp them intellectually. How could a second-tier action look like? How how would it look like in in practice? You know, so like in form of of political action. Is is there a new uh, left arising which facilitates second-tier consciousness or does an integration and a second tier politics mean like an integration of left and right values? So how could, in general, like a, a second tier in practice actually look like? So, so what are the practical implications here?
1: Well, in terms of uh, political orientation, um, in one sense. Uh, any political party that emerged at second tier would have some sort of progressive orientation to it simply because um progressive um actually means to to develop and evolve into a future state that's different from the present state that in some sense is better. And that's what progressives want to do. Conservatives don't want to do that. They think that, and there's some justification, uh, but they think that uh, culture is a very hard thing to implement. And the fact that we've got a culture that, that is vaguely working right now is worth conserving, is worth, worth holding on to, so they have more traditional values. And they, they don't necessarily want to progress into some different state because they're afraid that there are just too many ways that can go wrong. And it's certainly the case that, but so nonetheless, this this new higher political party would have to be at least sort of theoretically a progression into a higher state of of consciousness and awareness and being. Doesn't mean it's necessarily going to unfold in what's called the left today, Um, because again, right now there's so much confusion occurring on the left. Because they have these two branches. They have these traditional liberal values, and then they have these really extremist um, relativistic multicultural values. Um, and it's just not clear that that's going to be able to go forward. And the second thing about it is that whatever this second-tier political party is like, it would of necessity have to include some of the true aspects of both the left and the right, that's the whole point about integrating. And so you have to say, well, what are um, what are some of the true aspects of both the left and the right that would be included? That, of course, depends on exactly how you define left and right. But one definition of left and right is if you ask somebody, why do human beings suffer? Um, why, for example, uh, is somebody poor? in in today's culture and Mm -hmm. if you ask somebody from the right they'll often say things like well they don't have the right values they don't have family values or, or or they don't have uh enough work ethic uh and and if they just really got their act together uh then they would be fine but if you ask somebody from the left they'll say oh no no it's not the person's fault it's society's fault it's the system is is to blame the system is broken And so so sort of one side of the political divide uh, blames the individual, and the other side blames the society. And, of course, both of those have some degree of truth to them. And there are individual factors that do determine how well anybody does in in any sort of, of environment. And then it's also the case that any sort of system that develops can often have uh, injustices, uh, various amounts of corruption, various amounts of power drives get in. You always have to be uh, on the lookout for that. One of the things that almost certainly will be the case with a second-tier political party is that they're going to have some sort of understanding of these broad developmental ways that human beings go through. I mean, we have no trouble understanding, for example, if we look at uh, at, at how we're supposed to educate human beings. We have no trouble understanding that human beings grow and develop, and they have to learn stuff in in sort of a stage sequence of unfolding. So we generally have something like first to twelfth grade, And nobody minds saying, so, well, if you want to have a president of your country, do you want them to have at least a 12th grade education? Or would you accept somebody that had just a 3rd grade education? Almost nobody would say, well, I want a president that has just a 3rd grade education. Mm -hmm. So we understand that each of these grades gets higher. It includes the stuff that went before, but then adds something new. Mm And then, But all of a sudden... When somebody turns, hits around 18 years old, from that time on, everybody's the same. You're not allowed to make any sort of judgments uh, about people being, uh, more, um, uh, developed or less developed. And that's, that's just really a problem. And one of the things that a culture is coming from second tier is going to have to, to face and, and simply deal with is, okay, what does it mean for people to be at these different stages of development? Most of the values that even the extreme progressives agree are good are values that come only from some of the very highest stages of development that we're aware of. So, I mean, if you even look at something like um, the fact that we want to treat all people fairly, regardless of race, color, sex, or creed. Right. Now, that's a value structure that if you look at just the, the most general developmental models that just have even like three or four broad, generalized stages of development, you know, look like at something like, let's say, feminist uh, Carol Gilligan's stages of development, and she tracked this Development as as it occurred in in women, and what she found is is that a woman goes through around three or four major stages of development. So the first she called selfish, which is is very egocentric, and the second she called care, because a woman extends care from herself to to a group or groups of people. So she cares for not just herself but for her family, her clan, her tribe. Uh, maybe her whole nation, maybe her political party, maybe her religion, whatever yep. it is. Um, and then the next stage, Gilligan called not care, but universal care. And here the woman cares for all human beings, again, regardless of race, color, sex, or creed. And then she added a fourth stage she called integrated, and that's when women integrate both masculine and feminine. For uh, for right. thinking. But you can look at those values of caring for all human beings, regardless of race, color, sex, or creed. And of course, most progressives believe in that. I mean, even most uh, uh, modern conservatives believe in that. But that's a set of values that emerges only at those higher stages of development. Hmm. We really don't want people that are just at a care stage, which itself is ethnocentric. It it cares for the people in its group, but it thinks its group is supreme, and everybody else is dangerous or even demonic. And that's why you have to t- universal care, and that's a major step. But some 60 to 70 percent of the world's population is at ethnocentric or lower stages of development, and that's catastrophic. But we don't even talk about that. We're not even allowed to talk about those things, and that's a real problem.
0: So let, let me ask here from my point of view, we were living culturally in the last 40 years with with cultural more left values. And these were the, the more dominant values since the civil rights movement with with feminism and n- nowadays with Me Too and, and all that stuff. But what I'm also noticing, like for 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 a couple of months, I, I would say up to two years now, is that people who would identify Uh, um, as leftists before, now kind of um, rediscovering kind of conservative values, uh, values which were were marginalized in in the cultural discourse for the last 40 years. And and now we have this uh, phenomenon of the intellectual dark web, and especially Jordan Peterson, And, and I was wondering how how do you frame that kind of development? Is, is that something regressive? Or does the ID, IDW and Jordan Peterson have some integral potential? Or is that something that they add to the cultural discourse in regard of, of, of second-tier consciousness?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's actually in, 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 the, in the very best sense of progressive, meaning developmental or evolutionary, uh, move to a genuinely, uh, higher stage of development. And I think it is, um, at least, uh, among those, uh, um integral thinkers and um, among many, perhaps most of the thinkers that are, are on the intellectual dark web, that, that what's happened is that, well, it, we, uh, I would preface this by saying, um, there are several different factors that will drive a person to become um, either leftist or rightist in their political orientation. and We talked about one of them being you know where they locate the source of problems, if it's whether it's on the um, on the uh, individual or whether it's on the collective level um, that's That's actually what we call quadrants. Some of them believe in the left hand quadrants of the problem. Others believe in the right hand quadrants of the problem. The correct answer, of course, is all four quadrants are part of the problem. We have to include both of those, not just half of them. But the other, another major source of of somebody becoming left or right is we went back to when um, the left was originally created during the Western Enlightenment they sat on the left hand side of the of the French assembly and so it was just often referred to as the left. And then the conservative traditionalists were sitting on, on the right. And as I said for, for several hundred years those were the two main political parties that were um disagreeing with each other. And they were representing the the traditional right uh was representing society up to that point, which was up to that point, it was that amber, mythic, ethnocentric stage of development that that most of the Middle Ages um, had had been at. And those values became the uh, central values of the original conservative party. So they did tend to be uh, highly patriotic and, and very nation-centered. They were often patriarchal, if that's what the nature of, of the culture was. So they did tend to be um, in, a, a, a bit racist, a bit sexist, um, a bit xenophobic. Uh, some of the, those um, uh, cultures had trouble with LGBTQ people and so on. But at that time, And through most of human history, that wasn't really in a negative sense. That was the best humanity could do. I mean, it had gotten together and drawn several tribes together into into larger sort of nation groups. But it couldn't yet think in terms of universal terms or something that would include all humanity. So it just stuck to its own tribe or its its own super tribe. And that's what the original orange left was... Trying to change, and that's why they refer to themselves as progressive, because they wanted to progress into a future state that hadn't existed before. And that's right, it hadn't existed before. And so, so that original liberal had not an ethnocentric value system, but a world-centric value system. So it started talking about universal rights of humans, not just rights of Frenchmen or rights of Germans or rights of Christians or rights of Jews, rights of all human beings, regardless of race, color, sex, or creed. Again, that was a radically new value system for the world. And that's why the world didn't get rid of slavery until that value system emerged. But then something happened to both of those parties in the 1960s. Because what happened was that new if healthy higher stage of green pluralistic um multiculturalism emerged and and what happened is that both political parties, the amber original conservative with their ethnocentric values, and the orange original liberals with their world centric values both of those parties split into two branches, because there was this new group that was on the scene. So, what happened in the original orange Democrats is about half of them, and we don't know exactly what the number is, but I'll just say about half, moved up to green Democrats, and so we had a new green left, and it was in some ways quite different from the old left and um and, and they actually started kind of getting getting in, in into battles so one thing, the old left believed in things like free speech because I mean, that was one of its original primary values that's the the first amendment to the united states constitution the amendment mm-hmm. they thought was most important you have free speech and then but but what green was because it has a, a what's referred to as identity politics. It doesn't want any group's feelings to get hurt. So it's very willing to curtail free speech.
0: Yeah, it's more about, about tolerance and caring and not so much about the values of the modern mindset, which were like seeking truth, but more, more, more tolerance of other values.
1: Exactly, but they hold it so intensely that they become themselves very intolerant uh, about people that that disagree with them, and so they really aren't as inclusive or as accepting as they say they are they 're actually just just dividing the world in in into a different set of of super tribes. But what happened was that the original conservatives who were this amber ethnocentric value system, there were still some that stayed there again we 'll say about half, but about half of the Old conservatives moved up to orange because there was a shift upwards in, in the overall scale of development. So now we've got these new right, new Republicans, neoconservatives that are coming from orange values. In America, they're sometimes called Wall Street uh, conservatives, but they're the ones that now adopted the original Leftist values, so at Orange, these new right believers, they're advocates of free speech. And they're the ones that in many ways are publicly speaking out for free speech. The old left won't do so because they're afraid of the new left that doesn't like free speech. And so we've got this, this really huge problem and And one of the things that's made it really worse is we said that what happens with green and its relativistic pluralistic multiculturalism is that that becomes so extreme that people are supposed to just identify with their group identity, so it really does individual rights really don't matter anymore it's your group rights, and so you're either. Uh, a black person or a white person. You're either female or you're male. Uh, you're either left, which is okay, or you're right, which is demonic. And on and on, they believe that so extremely that they actually, they tend to absolutize their viewpoint. And when right. that happens, they actually end up regressing back to the absolutistic level, which is amber, Ethnocentric, absolutistic stage of development. And right. there, they run into the original ethnocentric. Those are people that are now things like white supremacists, or KKK, right. or neo Nazis. Right. These people actually believe this amber, uh, ethnocentric stuff. So they believe their race is superior, or their sex is superior, or their, uh, patriotic nation is, is superior, whatever it is but now we have these these green it's one of the reasons people intuitively call them the regressive left they've actually regressed back to amber sure. ethnocentric absolutism what that leaves is a group of people if they're at second tier and they don't they really don't have um a, a, an explicit understanding of various. uh models of of development, but they are thinking in integral terms. When they look back and see what the culture is doing, what they see missing are these original, orange, liberal values.
0: And so you mean that the IEDW and Jordan Peterson encompass that, and that's the very reason why they are so popular?
1: That's Mm. correct. And, And many of them are actually thinking. From teal or turquoise, some sort of second-tier, integrative, holistic stance. That's the way they're thinking. But what, what that mind tends to do... From the intellectual is it, dark web, or what you mean? What that's you mean? right. Because what, the, what, the, right. what an integral stage of, of thinking will do is it'll look out there and see, okay, what's being left out? What's, what's missing? And what's right. extremely missing... In in, in the political and educational system of America, and most entertainment for that matter, is the original orange liberal values of free speech, individual rights, um, and and they don't see that anywhere, and that's what they argue, that most of them are not actually coming from the orange stage are actually coming right. from teal or turquoise. But that's what they see missing. That's what they talk about. And by the way, that's what most of the members of the intellectual dark web have. They Politically, they run the spectrum. There are people uh, on fairly far right. right, like Ben Shapiro, and people who right. are fairly far left, like the Weinsteins. And, right. uh, and Jordan Peterson sort of takes up a happy position in, in, in the middle. Well, all right. of them, as far as I can tell, are thinking uh, in integral terms.
0: Right, right. Especially Jonathan Haidt, who who wrote the books about the righteous mind and the, the coddling of the American mind.
1: And so Jonathan by Haidt the, is is a classic yeah. integral thinker. He's extremely integral thinker. And the, one of the only reasons, the only thing that's a, a little bit puzzling, it's not totally puzzling, and and I'll give a quick explanation why. But the only thing that's a little bit puzzling is why people from Jordan Peterson to Jonathan Haidt don't mention developmental studies, don't, don't really even seem to have uh, th- that much awareness of them. You know, one of the main reasons, part of the difficulty is that in the 1960s, when Green started to emerge, uh, of course the best and the brightest leading edge thinkers at that time were green. And they started instituting changes in the educational system itself, and it really took over, because again, that's sort of where leading edge thinkers tend to, tend to implement, uh, changes. What happened was, because green egalitarianism maintained, at least theoretically, that Everybody has essentially the, the identical, equal value. There, there's no better or worse, no, no more developed or less developed. In other words, they completely confused dominator hierarchies and growth hierarchies. And dominator hierarchies are all the bad things that the postmodernists say about them. They're oppressive, they're power driven. Um, they, you know they create everything from slavery uh, uh, to to fascism i mean they' they 're horrifying, but then there are growth hierarchies and growth hierarchies are, are pretty much exactly the opposite of dominator hierarchies and dominator hierarchy the higher you go in the hierarchy, the more people you can oppress, the more people you can exclude and dominate. Yeah. In a growth hierarchy, as we've seen, the higher the stage you are, the more people you include. So in a growth hierarchy, you go from including just yourself at a selfish or egocentric stage to just your favorite group at a care or ethnocentric stage to caring for all groups at a universal care or world-centric stage. That's what you want. And and as we said, as a matter of fact, all the values of, of the postmodern progressives come from these higher stages of development but what they tended to do was deny all hierarchies entirely I mean this even denies like the evolutionary um, hierarchy that we see in nature which is a growth hierarchy as we said it goes from quarks to atoms to molecules to cells to organisms to more evolved organisms That's inclusivity. That's getting more and more unified and more whole. Uh, molecules don't hate atoms. They don't oppress atoms. (laughs) I mean, if anything, they love them. They include them. They embrace them. So that's what a growth hierarchy does. Well, in the 60s, in came the postmodernists, out went every hierarchy you can think of. They tossed them all. And that meant that developmental psychology departments were immediately viewed as evil. And around the country, as a matter of fact, entire departments of developmental psychology were closed. And in America, anyway, um, most of the really brilliant pioneering developmentalists, they all circled the wagons at Harvard. And they went to the Harvard Graduate School of Education. They weren't, by the way... In, in the Harvard School of Psychology. Psychology had already thrown out all the developmentalists mm-hmm. because they're evil. But the Department of Education had to actually educate kids. Therefore, they had to actually understand their developmental stages. Therefore, all the great developmentalists went to the Harvard Graduate School of Education. This included uh, Lawrence Kolber, Kurt Fisher, Robert Keegan, uh, Howard Gardner, Jane Lovinger, I mean, on and on, and they all just sort of circled up there. Meanwhile, developmental hierarchies went out the window, and you don't even find them mentioned in most academia today. So one of the problems, um, for example, even though I I, I very much enjoy Jordan Peterson, and I agree with a, a great deal of what he has to say, But one of of the problems is that he sees postmodernism, and this is fairly uh, common, uh, even in the intellectual dark web, but he sees postmodernism as nothing but a huge mistake.
0: That's so interesting because because one could say or one could argue that um, psychology itself is the first real postmodern science. And so I, I think that's quite interesting.
1: Well, and, and it, the problem is that, I mean, really, you don't get, I mean, you can get some, some movements that are really bad, but as, as I uh, will often say, no human mind is capable of producing 100% error, because nobody's smart enough to be wrong all the time. And that includes the postmodernists. They, in their healthiest aspect they were expressing what this new green higher stage of development had to tell us about the world and it had to right. tell us for example that meaning is context dependent and, and this is this was sort of known at orange but orange had a tendency to just analyze things and actually sort of get caught up in a kind of materialistic uh, atomism
0: <coughs> and not only this i mean the the categories and differences between uh, races and the social norms, that these are not natural hierarchies, but, but in a way social constructs. And this is the, the, the major and, and the supreme relevation of postmodern philosophy and, and psychology.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. Um, and um, postmodernism also, um, so it introduced the notion of contextualism, it introduced the notion of constructivism, which is the importance of interpretation in how we see the world. Um, I mean, deconstruction is, has been uh, summarized by one of its leading uh, proponents as, as constructing just two construct just two major beliefs. One, okay. all meaning is context-bound, and two, contexts are boundless are limitless. And and essentially that's uh, that's an important true but partial um, item. And then he introduced the notion of a-perspectivism where no perspective is privileged. You have to really sort of take them all into account. And these were all important and partial truths. But those were then often taken to extremes. And when that happens, then you start producing the types of negative aspects of postmodernism that somebody like Jordan Peterson hates. And those aspects that he hates, I don't like them either. But I can see yeah. that there is a core of truth that was driving them in the first place. And that's, right. that's what I think he tends to miss. So he'll say, for example, that the Marxists originally had, had these uh, idiotic ideas And, of course, they were responsible for hundreds of millions of deaths in in the 20th uh, century. But then when they realized that that wasn't working, then they switched over to identity politics and became the postmodernists. So the postmodernists, for Peterson, are all these dressed-up Marxists. But my question would be, well, wait, what made the original Marxists Marxists? I I mean, what was the core that just switched over to postmodernism and is still the same thing? Well, the thing that's unchanged, it's the green, pluralistic structure doing that. And it went to extremes with Marxism, and now it's gone to extremes with identity politics. And that's just one of the problems. It's sort of like, as the highest level in first tier, and first tier is marked by that belief that, you know, whatever your stage is, it's got the only truth and values in the world— Green is like sort of the epitome of that. I mean it really does get caught up in 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 what's called performative contradictions. I mean it really does maintain that it's universally true that there is no universal truth. It maintains that all knowledge is uh interpretation, except its viewpoint. It's not an interpretation. What it says is, is absolutely true. It is everybody else is stuck with mere interpretations, but not me. And so those kinds of extremist versions are what have driven postmodernism just right off the deep end. And it's really when you push the postmodernist notion of sort of relativistic systems everywhere, you really do end up with nihilism on one hand and then narcissism on the other. And and that's about all you have. And so what you do tend to see in... um, in, in a lot of post and particularly in the, in the protest movers. Well, Jordan Peterson said it one day after somebody busted in and just started screaming at the top of their lungs and trying to disrupt the presentation. When the person finally left, Jordan Peterson said, that, by the way, is a perfect example of narcissism. And right. everybody applauded, but it was true. I mean, and that's that's where you end up when you push this pluralistic relativistic stage to its extremes. And that does create the tension that increases the demand for second tier because it's only second tier, it's only a truly inclusive and holistic structure that can handle the fragmentation and the division and the partiality that we're... And, I mean, both... um, Uh, uh, Jordan Peterson and uh, Jonathan Haidt, almost every member of the intellectual dark web actually includes those kinds of pluralistic multicultural viewpoints. I mean, none of them would deny uh, the, the importance of, of, of having a fair and equal approach to all human beings, to all the world's cultures and so on. Exactly. They just, both of them understand that you have to have a unity in diversity, and that's why they're coming from second tier. But they're all including, I mean the whole point about a stage is it transcends and includes its predecessor, or it's supposed to. If it doesn't, then it gets unhealthy. By the way, that's one of Green's problems. It doesn't transcend and include orange values. It transcends and represses orange. That's what what has everybody up in arms and just going nuts about this kind of stuff. By the way, um, as to the intellectual um, dark web, um, they recently, one of its uh, main uh websites which which is called Rebel Wisdom, um right. actually carried a uh an article um that essentially said um that, that Ken Wober and integral theory can best explain the emergence of the of the intellectual dark web. Exactly I've read that article, Yes. Yeah, and, and, and I they I think they were seeing uh essentially the same thing. Um and so one of the things that's gonna be um interesting is to see how um I mean I, I decided to go ahead and, and, and do some some uh some interviews with uh, the people from Rebel uh Wisdom. Um uh, and one of the things that's gonna be um, interesting is to see just how um people like uh Jonathan Haidt or, or, uh, Jordan Peterson actually end up, um, what they actually end up thinking about a developmental viewpoint. Um, as I say, these were incredibly, there's an enormous amount of evidence for them. Um, I actually did a book called Integral Psychology and in the back, I have charts of over a hundred different developmental models okay. taken from around the world. And what's so noticeable about them is that all of them is that you can see a very, very broad um, general agreement between almost all of them in terms of just the major ways, major stages of unfolding okay. that human beings go through and how those, just like everything else in in the evolutionary stream itself, each higher stage transcends and includes its predecessor, so things just keep getting a little bit more complex, but also a little bit more whole, a little bit more unified, and a little bit more conscious. And so it's just almost impossible to miss. And again, the evidence for it is overwhelming. Some of those developmental models have been tested over What I wanted to say that... Over 40 different cultures. Over 40 different cultures they've been tested in, and no major exceptions have been found to those stages. So that's going to be interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, one one of the Weinsteins said be, be, that that because of all the polarization we we have right now, uh, what is missing and what we need is is kind of a healer. And my initial thought was well, thought was well, we we. Um, what is missing, actually, is this developmental perspective and of, of, of integral theory, and integral theory itself has to find its footing in the real world, and there has to be like a combination of, of integral theory and developmental perspective in regard of the real-life events.
1: Well, that's, what, that's what's interesting. I mean, um, one of the things that i've uh noticed um as, as I just sort of you know kind of notice what's happening um with integral theory or uh integral meta as as it kind of gets out there um is we sort of went through um a couple of different sort of major stages um in a certain sense um I I introduced at least the, the sort of the main form of, of my own integral approach uh with a book called Sex, Ecology, spirituality that was out in about 1995 uh and it caused a bit of a sensation um and uh it it it's it made me fairly well known among a you know relatively small number of people but um and, and for about the next 10 years There was a lot of theoretical discussion about the book. There were a lot of conferences, uh, people representing really mainstream, widespread philosophical movements um, like critical realism um, started to, and uh, the head of critical realism at the time is Roy Baskar, they started to get interested in it. There was a lot of discussion about it. And then after about 10 years, that discussion sort of continued. One of the most notable things about it was the framework that I had presented, which we call Aquo for all quadrants, all levels, all lines, all states, all types. Uh, that mm-hmm. framework was still solid. There hadn't been really any major um, um, arguments that that, that um, um, negated it or, or, or destroyed it. So it was still there. And what people started to do is say, okay, I'm, I'm done, uh, arguing about this thing. I'm just gonna take it, uh, basically the way Wilbur presented it, and I'm gonna start applying it, uh, to my own life, in my own field, my, my own area of expertise. And we had in the, in the, uh, Journal of Integral Theory and Practice, we had over 60 different human disciplines that were completely reinterpreted according to, uh, integral, aqual, Theory. right and um a, a a typical example of that um was when uh several years ago the, um the a professional journal um called Architectural Digest it carried uh, a year long series of articles um one each month 12 articles altogether in, in, in a single presentation that they called the Big Rethink. And it was a complete reinterpretation of every single area of architecture based on an uh integral framework. I mean, and it used all of them. It, it, it went through quadrants and levels and lines and states and types. And it was really impressive. And that kind of stuff, it just started to happen in more and more um, areas. So we even have in America, for example, we have a political movement that's called uh, a transpartisan movement. It's saying it's that because it, it's trying to transcend left and right. And it explicitly is based on integral theory. And it, it even uh, introduces um, what political leaders will look like at each major stage of development. And, of course, one of its main topics is that we have to integrate all of these. We can't just come in and say, okay, everybody has to be turquoise. Um, Everybody has to be second tier. That's just not going to work. But you do want some of the people uh, from second tier making some of the important types of of, uh, decisions. Just like if you could choose between having a president who has a 12th grade education or a president who has just a 3rd grade education, you don't have any trouble saying, I'll take 12th grade, thank you, and I'm not prejudiced, I'm not biased, I'm not racist or sexist or any of that. It's just, this is just uh, reality. It's just the way it is. And that has to start happening with how we look at, for example, a person's credentials to run for office, just as we say, okay, well, if they're like running for um, a political party that has to do something with business, you would expect that they would know something about business. Maybe they were a CEO themselves, um, but whatever it is, you wouldn't want somebody who's just absolutely ignorant of the field, and so one of the things that will start um, have occurring is that people saying this particular individual is representing this particular a swath of of the population uh, from this particular perspective, this particular wave of development. And some people, by the way, will be very happy to to select somebody that represents their own uh, stage of development. I mean, if you really have, you know, um, uh, someone who's who's um, blowing all the dog whistles and, and they're actually a white supremacist, well, you're going to have white supremacists vote for them. And there's really nothing you can do about that in a democracy. Of course, you make any sort of ethnocentric action illegal, but you you can't really control how people are thinking. So sure. for that, what you want to have is just people that are increasingly at more developed and inclusive stages of of development. And I think that's what we're gonna uh, that's what we're starting to see. Um, and, and I think that's just continuing to go forward.
0: All right, I. Ken, all right, Ken, I think we got it. I think that was a good conversation. Thank you very much for, for doing this. Okay, sir. Sure. If you enjoyed this episode of Lateral Conversations uh, and you want to support my work in this podcast, you can do so by using the Patreon link or the donate button from PayPal or you just can buy me a coffee. I will put the link below the episode I want to thank everybody who already supports me very much appreciated Uh, I hope you tune in next time all the best to you guys have a good one